1: CyberBit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com cyberwire. A criminal gang deploys sophisticated malware against remote banking systems customers, Business email compromise continues to appear in the wild. Be good to your proofreaders, CEOs. Telegram being used by phone scammers. FCC privacy and caller ID blocking regulations are debated. A vulnerable WordPress plugin is found. And life sure was a lot easier before toys became part of the IoT. I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your CyberWire Summary for Thursday, March 2nd, 2017. There's a bit of a crime wave in progress against Russian banking customers. The remote banking system is reported to be under attack, again, by the RTM gang, which operates a phased campaign, backdoor, compromise, reconnaissance, data exfiltration, and theft of funds. Their attacks focus on online banking, but the campaign is directed against business customers as opposed to the banks themselves. RTM Malware inspects drives and browsers and affected systems for indications of remote banking activity. It's particularly alert for a particular accounting software package, 1C Enterprise 8. The malware then finds and alters an export file that contains bulk transfer details related to remote banking system payment orders, and this is how they make their profit. The Bratislava-Slovakia-based security firm ESET, who's been tracking RTM for some time, finds their modus operandi reminiscent of bootrap, but believes the two gangs are unrelated. Their methods of infection are different. Bootrap relied and relies on spearfishing, whereas RTM uses a variety of vectors, including spam and drive-by downloads. Most of the victims have been in Russia, but there are reports of smaller infestations in Germany, Kazakhstan, the Czech Republic, and Ukraine. This is a relatively advanced campaign showing some technical sophistication, but other less tech-savvy forms of fraud remain endemic. The Sands Institute's Internet Storm Center has a report on another classic case of business email compromise, the kind in which a spoofed email that purports to be from a company's CEO or other responsible officer instructs finance, payroll, or some other corporate office to transfer a large sum of money to a criminal account. As so often happens, these bogus instructions succeed in bypassing email screening systems. In this case, the unnamed company benefited from alert proofreading, so copy editors may be your last line of defense. Trustwave reports finding a remotely exploitable issue in the Telnet administrative interface of various DBL tech devices. A flawed proprietary challenge and response authentication system could give an attacker root access to a device. Threat Geek describes how the privacy-friendly messaging app Telegram is being exploited by phone scammers. Messaging apps are becoming more popular with scammers as a way of evading do not call rules. If a scammer already has a phone number in their contact list, Telegram will tell them if that number is associated with a Telegram account. Once they have you on Telegram, they're off to the all-too-familiar races. Offering non-existent government benefits, discount siding, surefire penny stocks, the opportunity to perform good deeds for Nigerian royal widows, and so on. There are other issues of phone privacy and the regulation thereof under discussion in the U.S. The FCC, as expected, has voted to back away from privacy rules the broadband industry argued were unfairly burdensome and in response to a series of bomb threats some senators notably charles schumer a democrat from new york are asking the fcc to grant jewish community centers permission to bypass caller id blocking sakuri researchers report finding a sql injection vulnerability in the next gen gallery wordpress plugin sources believe it could affect in excess of a million websites Next gen gallery is a picture handling plugin widely used on WordPress sites. A term that gets thrown around a lot is the notion of data being weaponized. Weapons come in all shapes and sizes, from pea-shooters to Death Stars. So for some clarification, we checked in with Tony Goda, CEO of security provider ThinAir
2: even the choice of words, which is, you know, weaponizing data, it, you know, the, the question is, you know, can it be used in a defensive or an offensive posture? But in most cases, it's being used in a way that whoever's being used against normally wouldn't, wouldn't act in that way. So you're using it as leverage in some you know, sh- shape or form.
1: Can you give us uh, some, some examples of uh, where data has been weaponized against someone?
2: Yeah, anytime that you have a crypto locker that exists within an organization, so you know if the their crypto locker will then go and you know encrypt the document and refuse to release the keys in the event, so that the organization you know will then you know pay money in the form of a ransom. So they're using the data as a weapon against the organization itself. Um, in other cases, it can be used in a blackmail scenario where, you know, you've got all different types of espionage utilities that exist on personal cell phones that, you know, collect all types of damaging personal information. And then if you don't react in the way that the, uh, that the blackmailer expects, then, you know, you risk that personal exposure. So I think there's, there's tons of scenarios where that exists.
1: So in terms of, you know, people protecting themselves against this sort of thing, what kinds of options do they have?
2: Yeah, I think it really depends on the threat, um, but I think in terms of, I think the first thing is, is that most people don't have any visibility or, or an inventory of where all the sensitive information is throughout an organization. So you, you can't protect what you can't see. Traditionally, large companies and even people, they just don't know how exposed they are. So I think. Starting with that, it's a pretty big deal. So, you know, for instance, you know, when the when the DNC servers were hacked, you know, there was this huge cache on the servers themselves of all this information, and there was a huge cache of, you know, sensitive information that existed on, you know, people's endpoints. So knowing that it's there, you, you could have been taking protective uh, measures or defensive measures to protect the information as it sat. So I think that's the first thing you need to do. Um, but then also recording the activity that that occurs against that information. So today, you know, if you think about kind of all the physical things that we do with the things that we care most about. So if you go into a warehouse, you know, there is an inventory of all the physical things that exist within a warehouse. There's a camera that sits in the corner and watches what people physically do with all the items inside the warehouse, and there's guards posted outside. So you have this well-defined, you know, very, um, you know, kind of thoughtful security posture when it comes to the physical assets. But when it comes to digital information, there is a much less well-defined, a much less rigid or much less um, kind of thoughtful security posture. So you don't have an inventory of whoever touches information. You don't have what we like to call an information chain of custody. You don't know what people know. You don't know what people have seen. Um, you don't have any, any recording technologies around information. So it's not just like taking screenshots of what people have on their desktop or keystroke you know, um, recordings of what they actually type but some attribution of information, how it's being used throughout the organization. Like, you don't have that capability. And, and that's actually something that we think is, a, is is the future data security, is that is that particular um, type of posture, which is what we actually build.
1: That's Tony Goda from Thin Air. There is some patch news this week, some of it coming from within the security sector itself. Zscaler has patched a cross-site scripting bug in its admin portal. Rapid7 discloses eight vulnerabilities in its products and issues either patches or mitigations for them. Slack has fixed a cross-origin token theft vulnerability in its popular cloud-based collaboration tool. And finally, really, we're officially creeped out by the connected toys and household robots. As CloudPets files its surveillance-stuffed animal breach notification with the California Attorney General... Security company IO Active reports on the general state of robot security, and the state of the robots is not good. It's not that the robots are necessarily as leaky as teddy bears, it's more that the robots are easily hackable. And since Microsoft has shown that AI can now code, where's all this heading? All in all, we were much happier when the toys you had to worry about were things like lawn darts. Joining me once again is Marcus Roshecker. He's the Cybersecurity Program Manager at the University of Maryland Center for Health and Homeland Security. Uh, Marcus, I uh, saw a story come by on the uh, Next City website, and it was called uh, What Plugged in Cities Mean for Personal Privacy. Um, you know, we've certainly got this, uh, this move towards cities becoming smart cities, uh, and that could have some privacy implications for people.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, in general, we've seen that especially in the private sector companies are collecting a lot of information about their customers. Um, they use that information and monetize it um, because all that information can be very powerful um, when put together. And I think the government and municipalities have certainly caught on to this as well that uh, as they collect information that can be used for a lot of in a lot of ways, a lot of beneficial ways, but of course it also raises privacy concerns among citizens.
1: And, and the cities are saying that you know there are some some uh, useful ways uh, for for the greater good. For example, using this to help fight crime.
0: Yeah, absolutely. There's been a been a big push in a lot of municipalities um, for for the use of big data to fight crime, and algorithms can be used uh, using uh, all this various data that's being collected to really predict crime and where it might happen. So, uh, it's fascinating to see how effective this actually is in fighting crime because cities are able to now and police departments are now able to really predict with uh, great accuracy where crimes might take place and they can send police officers to those areas and actually prevent those crimes or, or uh, find, uh, find the criminals really quickly. So that certainly has a big uh, benefit um, for the greater good in that regard. But um, at the same time, this kind of predictive policing and, and other uses of big data by cities and, and towns um, have, have raised concerns about privacy. And you know, opponents say that some of this predictive uh, uh, crime fighting and, and other uses of data certainly have an effect on people's privacy, their expectations of privacy. A lot of information can be deduced about individuals using this big data, these, these data sets. So there's concern there. And then when it comes to predictive policing, there's certainly uh, some out there who say that, you know, this can disproportionately affect certain geographical areas or certain populations. And um, that there's a danger in this almost blind reliance on big data to do the policing or or other activities um, when the, the human aspect is really then secondary. You know, there's also this concern that a lot of information that Perhaps seems to be anonymous um, can be u- can be plugged together can be put together can be connected uh, using algorithms and and data analytics and certain things can be deduced and identities can be revealed through that analysis and there's a certainly that's very concerning when we want to make sure that um, certain data is protected and. Uh, and, and sensitive, um, we don't necessarily want to be able to deduce these things uh, just because we have these massive data sets.
1: Marcus Roshecker, thanks for joining us. Our lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program with the largest network of trust centers...